Getting to see behind the screen there, people. That was a mistake, but that's okay. That's okay. These things happen, and you guys are incredibly gracious, so thank you. Guys, you might be uh, a stay-at-home mom whose kids have grown up and you're ready to re-enter the workforce, or maybe you're uh, military and you're getting out, or maybe you are find yourself in Europe and you're no longer to apply the tradecraft and skills that you have developed that has paid for your, you know, your life and your livelihood up until that point. And you need to reinvent yourself, redefine what you are, skill up, and you know, go get after it. And that is exactly what we're talking about today because our friend Mike Jones, a.k.a. The Haunted Hacker, did just this. And his story is absolutely inspiring. He's a wonderful person. And we're going to be getting all up in that story today. And I am so excited. Uh, every time I've spoken with Mike, I've been on his show twice. It has just been just so good conversation, so natural, so easy to talk to. Real quick, uh, you know, uh, business, right? I guess whatever they call that, house business. We are doing a practical ethical hacking uh, TCM Academy bundle raffle later today. Thank you to the newly minted PNPT, Russell Brinson, member of the Simply Cyber community. We are also uh, going to be answering your questions live. So if you have a question for us, put a queue in the front of it so we know that it's for us. We do live Q&A. This is a community. This is a live stream. Let's have a ton of fun. All right. Let's get in here and bring uh, Mike up on stage. All right. Let's see you in there. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Excellent, man. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, uh, thank thank you for the the grace of of the uh, snafu at the beginning there where you're seeing like my behind the scene production YouTube studio. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So for those who don't know Mike, uh, Mike is the haunted hacker and we're going to be getting into his, you know, I would call it a podcast to begin with, but it's it's so much more than that. It's, it's really a community and we, we will get into all of that. But I wanted to I wanted to start with your story of uh, reinvention and redefining yourself, Mike, because you were an offensive security professional uh, and then you couldn't practice those skills anymore and you needed to pivot. And now you're, you know, a quite successful uh, security professional on the on the defensive side. And it, it's really impressive. So can you can you take us back to the start of like the moment that you need to redefine yourself and what your course of action was? Sure. It was uh, back in 2020, actually 2018. Um, I ended up in Europe and uh, decided to come back for a conference and realized that my passport was no longer valid. Uh, so I was kind of stuck in Europe without a way to make money. Um, couldn't get a job because I wasn't a resident. Tried doing some consulting, very little consulting. Uh, and I started speaking and, and talking, you know, telling my story. And that led to helping kids over in London and in the UK, uh, kids at risk for being cyber criminals. And from there, I got picked up as a CISO for a blockchain company um, and left there and eventually was able to come back to the States. And that's where the real reinvention started is when I got back to the U.S. Yeah. Well, just before you before you get on the plane, Mike, and head over to the States, uh, you, you just mentioned some speaking engagements. And, you know, one of the things we talk about in the community is kind of building a brand and sharing the knowledge that you have. How did you, uh, you know, I guess, set up or, or get those kind of speaking engagements? Because it's definitely I don't know if it helped you get that CISO role, but I would assume it helped you network, which is just so important. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the company I was working for before I got stuck in uh, Europe was a security company. And we had met a vendor that sold us an application. And when he found out that I was in Europe, he wanted to take me on a speaking tour. He said, you've got a great story. You know, let's make it public. Uh, so we start off with uh, the speaking tour inside the mind of a hacker, talking about the psychology of hacking and, and kind of my story. And that kind of blew up into kind of an all university uh, speaking tour with Cambridge University, Westminster, um, just a ton of them. That's awesome. And, and did that lead to networking opportunities? Oh, tons, tons. I, I can't stress how important it is to get involved, not just in the work, but in the community, because that's where you make the real connections. That's where you find the real opportunities. Yeah. Preach. That's, uh, that's, I can't say that enough. Uh, and you know, the nice thing is I've been saying it long enough that the opportunities ha for, for people have started coming. Uh, so now it, it kind of reinforces and proves it. So, so um, I, I do want to come back to the mindset of a hacker. I, I didn't know that's what you were speaking about, and that does sound intriguing. But but let's get you on the plane and fly you over to the States. So now what? Like you're still kind of, I would imagine you're still kind of on this reinvention uh, course at this point. Yeah, reinvent from the ground up. I mean, literally, I was like technically homeless. Um, and it was uh, like the whole process was probably about a year. Uh, I spent trying to like, get bank accounts and you know the normal stuff that people do every day that people take for granted i had to rebuild that mm -hmm. so you know one of the questions i was actually kind of curious about um I, I thought we might get to it later but um how how important is uh like asking for help or having a network um in, in helping you climb into that new role or climb into that new in, in new you frankly i guess to put it bluntly I mean, everybody needs a network, uh, whether it be a social network or a spiritual network or whatever. Um, those are the people that you look to to guide you and to, to kind of build your framework. Um, if you don't have that, it's very difficult. Um, and especially getting into cyber, let's talk about that for a second. Um, if you don't know anybody in the community, it makes things very difficult, uh, just networking in general. Um, and that's I think that's a challenge for a lot of people. You know, I have Asperger's and, and networking in the very beginning was very difficult because I didn't know how to approach people and I didn't know how to, um, I guess, socialize. Uh, but after public speaking and, and starting to rebuild myself, that became kind of like second nature. Yeah. I mean, I mean, from the conversations I've had with you, you're, you're very, um, you're, you're very comfortable and very natural, uh, and engaging. So I, I don't know if that's something you had to work on or not, but you're definitely, you're killing it. <laughs> You know, so you have a, you have a, a, a seriously successful podcast and that you speak in mostly. So uh, good, good on you. Um, so, OK, so what other challenges did you encounter? Like, I mean, obviously, I, I, I didn't realize that you were basically homeless and having these challenges with, you know, basic fundamental things that, you know, people take for granted, like having a mailing address. Um, but what, what were there any challenges that you encountered from like a technical um, kind of perspective? So, in your path? Sure. So there was, I mean, so I had to decide, was I going to go back to offensive security or defensive? Um, and luckily, uh, Luke McComey, uh, a good friend of mine, um, gave me an opportunity to interview for a position. And basically, I, had to, I got to choose which way I wanted to go. Um, I could have been on the red team or I could have been on the blue team. Um, I chose the blue team because I'd done red team for so long. 
Um, and I wanted to get back to building a, a team because they, you know, they had a small team and they needed someone to help grow that team. And since then, um, we've, I've, I've employed probably about six or seven people. Um, I have interns and it's really cool to see these interns move from being an intern and learning to actual full-time employees, because I like to promote from within. I don't like to go outside mm -hmm. an organization to, to bring people in. Um, I like to reward people who work hard. Uh, so being part of that is excellent, but I also get to still do some of that red team stuff. Um, we've got a great team on the red team side and I still work in engagements with them when they need help. Uh, the last one I did was an Android uh, assessment, which was really cool. So how, how, how valuable, cause this is something that we do talk about quite a bit too. How valuable was your red skills at making you good at blue? So my whole career has been a mixture of both. Um, when I got out of the military, my first paid position was on the same compound, uh, just changed my shirt and went to work. And I was working in the GCCC, which was the, uh, basically the sock for all of the Atlantic fleet in the Navy. Um, so I, I cut my teeth on defense, but then went back to my offensive roots after the military and dove off into pen testing. Um, but it's always been a mixture. I, I go back to Sun Tzu where Sun Tzu says, you know, to, to defeat your enemy, you have to know your enemy. And so I make it a point to tell anybody getting in cyber, you've got to learn both principles. You can't go in blind because if you only learn blue, you're totally blind as to what's causing those events you're looking at and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pete, Pete McKinnon and I, a uh, member of the community had the same question. I mean, he, he threw it up like literally as I was spitting it. Um, you know, I guess, you know, to, to the second part of Pete's question though, I mean, was, was any of it surprising um, when you made that, you know, you know, switch to running a blue team and, you know, being really into a sec ops role? You know, I, I think the the most shocking part of it was the platforms because I hadn't worked in the platforms for a while um, and I was learning new techniques and new uh, new technology. That was the only difficult part. Um, but I have a great team behind me, too. So, you know, they, they help me get up to speed on certain platforms and the way they do things. Really, it's just learning the environment you're getting into. And, and operations. That was the hardest part. But other than that, I mean, you already know the attacks. You already know what you're looking at. Um, mm -hmm. And it's easier to defend once you know what those attacks are and how they're generated is the way I look at it. Yeah, I was talking to a member of the community recently who just started her first blue team job. And, you know, she's super pumped about it and getting drinking from the fire hose. And I, I, I was saying, you know, I feel like you know, personally, because I've done some blue, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not a sec ops guy, but I do blue. Um, at some point you start seeing it as almost like categories, like mm -hmm. buckets of, uh, you know, attack. It's, you know, each one, it's like, oh, that's a different flavor, but it's this kind, like, let's, let's do it. Um, and that she would get there. Um, so, so it is interesting, um, you know, from your perspective. Now, a question that uh, you made me think of, you said you really enjoy building teams. Another hot topic in the industry right now is, um, you know, is certifications matter? Is practical experience matter? Is it education? Like when you're building a team, and I, I don't want to go too far down the road on this topic, but it is so relevant since you build security teams. Mm -hmm. What what are you looking for? Like what stands out to you? Like what what could people take away as like, oh, that's a good idea. I should I should be doing that. I, I go back to my interview with Microsoft back in 2005, and the way they 
conduct interviews. I don't necessarily look at your your certifications or you know your in depth knowledge in certain areas. I want to know how you how you think, how you troubleshoot, how you approach challenges, um, how creative you are. I can teach somebody security who's very creative and and has a really good way of breaking down challenges. You know, it's harder to teach someone who's set in their ways and has been in cybersecurity. 20 plus years rather than it is to take somebody with a, a fresh new outlook and excited and has enthusiasm and faces challenges as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and, and I appreciate that. You know, I, I, I do say a lot of um, like practical skill, like almost today, like I say practical skills is king um, and not really the tech stack necessarily, but your ability to kind of understand like the methodology behind what we're doing here. Um, that's very good. Uh, Louis got a question really quick. I haven't even read it, so it could be could be not suitable for work, uh, Mike. But what about pivoting to security? But have IT experience with security path? Would you recommend? You know, so what do you tell the people who work in IT work in IT that want to move into cyber? You know, I, I always start off. I have an intern right now that that's in that same situation, and I always tell them to start off. You know, learning something broad. You're learning defense in a broad length, right? And then diving down, learning a little bit of red at the same time. But, but never close yourself down to a certain path because that path may change and the, the industry as a whole may change. So keep your mind open and look at it from an, you know, an open view and mold your path depending on where you go. I mean, it's, to me, it's a flow thing. I, I just go with the flow and I pick which path that presents itself and it will present itself. Hmm. Okay, interesting. So, so let, let's talk about the, you know, I guess, well, I wanted to go right into haunted hacker podcast, but between, well, let's go into haunted hacker podcast. So between, you know, um, reinventing yourself and getting stood up and having, having, um, you know, gotten a job and, and basically started on your way to redemption, like at some point you decided you're going to start a podcast uh, and it's wildly successful. I'm slightly biased because I've been on it twice. Okay, so full disclosure. Um, but but what was the genesis of creating the podcast? And and you know, I guess go, can you go into that a bit and and tell us like why and what can people expect from it? Sure. So I started the podcast. Me and a good friend of mine, uh, Michael LeBlanc, were talking. We're sitting in the in the kitchen drinking bourbon. Thought he said, you know you have a story, you have a big story to tell. Why don't you do a podcast? So that's where the idea came from. Um, but it kind of evolved, right? So the first couple episodes was just me talking uh, and goofing off and not taking it really seriously uh, and having bourbon at the same time, which didn't <laughs> quite well. Um, but then we moved into more of a guest and host type situation. And I started bringing on people that I knew, people who were, who were OG, who had been in the community for forever and helped found what we know now as ethical hacking um, to, to leave like a legacy, right? A story for newcomers coming in who might not know those people who helped build what they're in today. Um, so I had people like Chris Roberts on. Uh, I had Luke McComey on, people like that. But then I started evolving into... I want to learn different aspects, but different people's point of view. So I started bringing on former FBI, former CIA, NASA, just people who I find interesting. And I really want to dig into the psychology of the way they look at the industry and, and, and cybersecurity. Uh, and we give, I mean, every podcast, I try to give something to the viewers to, to hang on to, you know, maybe a thought, a provoking thought or 
you know, maybe a way to look at something differently uh, because I'm definitely not orthodox. I'm not one of the ones who, you know, is going to sugarcoat or put it in a nice and neat framework. It's just going to be genuine talk. Yeah. And you know, this is, this is where like you even just saying that made me like, like wriggle a little bit of uncomfort because, because we were talking before the show just about how, how I don't want to say conformist I am, but like, I'm very structured. I'm like, I'm like crystal made for a uh, uh, GRC CISO uh, kind of thing. And um, just, but I love it. It's like, it sounds like what you're doing is kind of like almost like tribe of hackers or like a chronicled, like an audio chronicle of where we are as a community uh, and the people who, co who compose that community, which isn't always just practitioners, right? Like, you know, for example, I'm thinking like Joe Hudson, who is uh, a cybersecurity recruiter and he's a great friend of the community. And like, all he does is cybersecurity recruiting. Like he doesn't practice, but he has fingerprints on who we are and what we're doing right now as a as a community so i i love that mike what yeah. so what yeah so you know i guess you started with the podcast you know something that i wanted to ask you okay so if you haven't listened to mike's podcasts um it's exactly what he said it's an interview with someone in the community and we have a nice great conversation it's it's led by mike but one interesting thing about Mike's shows that you don't get here at Simply Cyber, for example, is Mike starts off each episode, as near as I can tell, the ones I've heard, with a kind of a personal update, right? Whether it's like uh, a clinical diagnosis or something with your cat or just like something personal um, about you. And the first time we sat down to record and you did it, I was like, oh, that's that's interesting, like you know, that's interesting. And then the second time it was like very natural and comforting. Have you like, first of all, why do you do that? And second of all, have you found it, it connects you to the community in some way? I, you know, to be honest with you, Gerald, I really don't know why I do it. It's just habit, I guess. Um, but I don't know how to give like that, I guess, professional interview or professional podcast. It, it's more to me, it's more of just a organic conversation. Um, yeah. and I try to try to bring stuff out from people that, you know, people can relate to on a personal level. So in order for me to get people to talk to me on a personal level, I've got to be open and, and transparent and kind of, you know, throw bits and pieces about myself out there. And, you know, it, it's a way for me to feel like I'm in touch, I guess, but mm -hmm. it's not something I've ever like, this is what I need to do. It's just habit, I guess. Yeah, no. And, you know, it's funny you say that because, like I said, it like it's very personal. I mean, it's not like, Jerry, can you look at this? Does this look like a rash or something? It's not that personal. But it it, it really does kind of um, initiate the conversation with you giving something to the guest member in, in almost in like a subconscious way. It, it causes this kind of like tit for tat quid pro quo thing, which I really do think unlocks deeper conversations. So um, it's a technique um, that I, I find find awesome. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe on my morning shows, I'll start doing something like that. But it, I do, I do appreciate it, Mike. I was just curious if, if there was some like deeper logic behind it, some, some red team mindset behind it where you were hacking me while and I didn't even realize it. No, just, it's just me. Yeah, I love it. We got a question from Jax, friend of the show and member of the squad. Thanks for the support, Jax. Can you think of a time, Mike, during your struggles when you had a significant success that thrusted you into the current space for future success? 
Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I think that came when I was over in Europe, um, when I spoke at Cambridge University about the psychology of, of being a hacker. Um, and from there, it's like there were several doctors that were that were attending the uh, talk, and it was a physical talk at the university. And when I heard Cambridge, I thought, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's a big university. That's a big thing. Um, and from that point on, it was like people there who knew other people, who knew other people, took me down this path of talking in front of 40 people to talking in front of a thousand people. Um, and not necessarily about my background, but just about hacking, the psychology, uh, the human aspect of it. Because I, I think as an industry, we don't focus enough on the human aspect of security. So I think that's where it really blew up. Well, so that's the second time you've talked about kind of the mindset of uh, offensive security. And we had a question from Kayla in here about, you know, how do you, how do you know where to focus when you're, when you're learning techniques and, and tools and stuff like that? So can you, I guess, kind of speak a little bit about what is the mindset of a hacker? And is it different than, uh, a, you know, a different type of cybersecurity professional or is it a, prof is it a cybersecurity professional mindset? So, so for me, the mindset is more of a lifestyle. It's not so much a, a learned or, uh, I guess, a discipline. It's more of that's just the way my mind works. And that's, you know, when I talk about hiring people and the creativity and, and you know, approaching challenges. My mindset is if there's a problem or if I want to, you know, do this hack that I saw that's very complex, I literally won't sleep until I get it done. Um, I want to have that, I guess, that success, that fulfillment. Um, and I move on to the next challenge. And sometimes this takes me down rabbit holes of exploits and, and different techniques for hours, sometimes three or four in the morning. But I'm always learning something new. It's, and it's not, it's not because I feel like I have to. It's just the way my mind works. Like, I, I want more information. Yeah. So with, with The Haunted Hacker, I know you have the podcast, right? But you have so much more than that. I know you have um, an incredible Discord community. Uh, you've got some other, you know, related tangential things going on. Can you sh share with us, you know, I guess kind of like what ha Haunted Hacker is today and where it's going tomorrow and how the community gets involved with that so they can help, you know, this continued reinvention, if you will, of, of who you are. And, and sure. what the community is, of course. Sure. sure. When, when I first started the, the community, it was very open, um, which kind of left me open to attack, if you will. Uh, so we had to lock some things down. And, and just like any other group that, that is in the red space, there's always that, that threat or that, that possibility. Um, so I had to lock it down. And then we started growing from there. We, we came up with the magazine. Uh, the podcast got picked up by TechStrong TV, um, where broadcast three times a week. And now that has put me on tech strong speaking um, tours. Uh, and then there's just so many things that have come out of it. You know, Kim has helped move it to a different area as well with, you know, the magazine with reaching out to, to new guests. Um, we have merchandise. I mean, none of this was, was thought of in the beginning. I didn't sit down and go, this is where I want to be. And this is how I'm going to get there. It was more of, let's just see, see what happens and let it take the life that it's going to take. Um, you know, and it has, there's been ups and downs and there's been challenges, but one thing that um, I decided I wasn't going to do is I wasn't going to quit. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what's, I guess, you know, I don't know if you envision getting picked up and, and uh, essentially kind of syndicated or not, but what, where, what are some like 
you know, big plan, like down the road, what are you thinking? I mean, are you thinking, you know, I guess a comp, like, you know, I don't know, a haunted hacker conference, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess I'm curious. I mean, you have really interesting ideas. So, so I have thought about a conference and I've been talking to a couple people and I know that virtual conferences are the thing because of COVID. Um, but we want to take it one step further and make it a virtual reality conference with Oculus. Cool. Okay. Um, so I'm talking to some designers and, and some people that I work with, and we're trying to come up with ways and, and ideas and, and map this out. But that's where we want to go. Um, as far as the, the group, I, you know, I never intended to get syndicated. But once I got syndicated, um, that became like a real passion for me because knowing that not only the people who subscribe to my channel, but also about 10,000 viewers three times a week gets to watch the same podcast we do um, on TechStrong. Uh, you know, that that was a real big moment for me when, when TechStrong picked us up. Um, and mm -hmm. they've, they've become like a second family. Um, but eventually down the road, you know, right now I'm trying to make a thousand subscribers on YouTube um, just so I can start finding a way to monetize certain parts of it. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we all know that podcasts are not free, that, you know, it takes money to put this stuff together. I can't yeah. even imagine what you pay, but it's there uh, are some associated costs. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'd, I'd like to be uh, self-sustaining, right. And uh, have the podcast kind of pay for itself rather than out of my pocket. Um, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to pull it up and, and pump it in a second here uh, sure. because, because I do think it is awesome. Um yeah, you're, you're close uh, here. Yeah, uh, please, please continue. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you just to not say anything. Like No, no worries. No worries. Uh, but yeah, like as far as future plans go, I'd like to see the community grow. But to me, it's really up to the community. I gave us, you know, the place to start. And I've given the group the tools to, to, to work with. And it's up to them where they want to take it. You know, I don't mind driving the bus, but tell me where we're going mm -hmm. um, type deal. So I just let it go on its own. Yeah, I just dropped a link in chat, at least to uh, YouTube folks. Uh, definitely go check out Mike's um, Mike's YouTube channel and subscribe if you haven't already. You can see here uh, clear evidence that I am subscribed and support uh, Haunted Hacker. I, I do love the conversations you're having. I don't get to listen to as many as I, as I wish I could, but um, I do get to listen to the ones that I, I do have time for. So I, I like the meta conference. Um, wh what was the idea behind that? Was it just to be different or, or what, you know, I guess what, what was the idea? The idea came from DEF CON and, you know, a lot of people miss those meetings at DEF CON miss the lock picking, miss all of that. But there's a lot of people who don't want to subject themselves to the possibility of getting sick. And I, for one, am one of those people. I've had COVID three times, don't want it again. Um, mm. So we thought how can we do this in a way that people can interact and actually do some of these village challenges and, and, you know, interact with people. And it went back to games like destiny and, and some of the earlier games, you know, back, back in the day when they first came out with the, the virtual kind of environment. And we thought, Hey, you know, if we could do this and pull it off and have people interacting through Oculus in an environment that we, we built and these different villages can build. I mean, how cool would that be? So it's a far shot, but you know we're, we're we're working towards it, trying to make it make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea or background or network in any way, but my my initial thought goes to um, like Facebook is pushing so hard for metaverse, and they just released like 
workspaces or spatial or whatever, like these environments where people can move. And mm -hmm. like, this is a perfect use case. Like you could probably get funding. Like you might get some bl blowback from the community about getting in bed with Facebook, but that's a separate thing. But like, you could probably get it like funded by them because it's such a great use case and it would, it would totally, um, be a justified like it would it would demonstrate applicability and, and utility of the meta um i do i do have an oculus too just to to be transparent and clear uh i do i do think it's awesome but i don't use it as often as i do want to because it kind of i don't know if you have one mike but basically when you put it on it's like no one else is in the room like you're in a room a virtual room with everybody else but like your kids and your wife they're, they're not in there and it's it's slightly off-putting uh for other people and for myself i'm like oh hey like i just got done with work i'm just gonna throw on this headset and ignore you like so i, I don't do that very very much i've seen some really cool videos of people with oculus running into a wall yeah yeah i, I, I saw one just yesterday about uh it was like a, you know, a grandma or someone, someone who's not really familiar and like, you know, a child walks by and she just like punches the child in the back of the head. So yeah, there are some uh, best practices with using it. So, you know, Mike, one of the things that you did talk about with um, this, this group that you just got set up with, I, I, I'm sorry, what's the name? Tech, Tech Strong? Tech Strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This group you just talked about is, you know, something that's quite popular at the beginning of every year um, predictions for 2022. I've actually, uh, done some, we talked about a couple on your podcast, uh, when I came on, um, where like specifically, where do you think cybercrime is going? So cybercrime is going in a direction where I believe it's going to become more geopolitical. Um, we've Ooh. seen it already and, and look at the tensions with, you know, Russia and Ukraine and the U S uh, China and Taiwan, you know, U.S. and Cuba um, and people there, there's nationalist groups, not necessarily APTs, but nationalist hacking groups that support their country. And it just lights fuel for the fire. Um, and I've seen uh, ransomware groups working with APTs recently that, you know, it's going in a direction that we definitely don't want it to go. But I don't think there's any way to stop it, per se. I, I think that it's on a, it's on its own path. Yeah, well, I to be honest with you, I'm actually surprised that um, not 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 APTs, but like more organized, more national groups, right, aren't doing more financial attacks. I was actually thinking about this earlier today for some odd reason. Like I'm at a stoplight and it just dropped in my head. Like as far as I know, and this, if you don't want to get into this, this is fine. But like, as far as in chat, if you don't want to hear this, let us know and we'll change topics. Like, as far as I know, North Korea is really the only country that's like overtly has a financial faction that that's their job is to go get money, right? Lazarus group is what they call them. And that's what they do. And you don't see other countries really doing that. And I was thinking ransomware is rampant. You see all these, you know, cyber criminal organizations. Now they may have, you know, uh, state sponsored backing or endorsement, or, you know, we won't bother you, but for the most part, it's just like thugs and gangs and mafiosos that are essentially committing these ransomware crimes, uh, the financial ones. And the nation ones are not. And I was thinking, I wonder if it's because like, if you touch my bank account, I'm going to flip out. Like I'm willing for you to mess with my people. But if you touch my bank account, uh, i.e. like our economy or, you know, federal reserve or something, it's, mm. it's going to be all out war. 
And, and, you know, I, I guess, do, do you have any thoughts on that? I, this isn't a fully fleshed out thought. It's just an observation that you don't see it happening except North Korea. So, so I had a guy on the show, Mark Elliott, who's former CIA, and we talked about this topic. Um, and I had a theory that ransomware groups were going to start working with APT groups. And I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. Um, I've seen attacks where we go into a network to do forensics and there's an APT and a ransomware group. Um, so they do work together. Uh, one thing that, that you should watch is the next time we put sanctions on a country, let's say China, and watch the tax on the blockchain watch the attacks on crypto wallets. Um, when we put financial sanctions on countries, that's the first thing to do is run to blockchain and start stealing crypto. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I mean, and I think, I mean, at least, at least um, uh, the Bangladeshi bank heist, you can, you can tie chronologically to uh, economic sanctions placed on North Korea to, when they yep. were doing their weapons program. Yep, absolutely. And that is interesting. Uh, Mike, I got a question for you from the audience. And I, I know a little bit about this background, but I'm curious on your thoughts, how you might talk to someone in your community about this. So Jess is a member of our community. Uh, she's a great, great professional. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, basically she she um, had, you know, a, a network connection. She helped out. She was kind of told one thing and it turned out to be a, a lie, for lack of a better term, and got duped. Um mm -hmm. And now she's a little gun shy, like she's she's touched the stove and got burned. And now she thinks that the stove is always on, whether or not it's on or off. Right. You know, when someone burns you in your network, how, how do you what, what would you how would you proceed or what might you tell someone like Jess in this case? Persona non grata gone. Um, and that happens all the time in this industry. You know, this industry is a great industry. And Jess is, is a fantastic person. Jess has been in my discord and, you know, listen to the podcast. She's awesome. Um, but, you know. I have kind of, I guess I have an advantage because I expect those things to happen. Uh, being from the red side traditionally and, and, you know, going through those battles between groups and battles between people, even, even in the haunted hacker, I've seen it um, and just expect it. And it's okay to be a little bit paranoid about what's going on around you because that makes you more alert, more aware. Maxwell uh, follows up on Jess's question with, you know, you know, okay, so be alert, be on the lookout. What, what are the red flags? You know, what, what might be something? Well, for me, just watching a, uh, you know, so let me reverse that a little bit. Coming from a background where I had that social anxiety and that, that social, I guess, diversity. Um, I, you know, I tend to sit back and watch people and watch how they conduct themselves and I see a rhythm. And then when that, when that rhythm gets disrupted or they do something out of the norm, then the red flags go up, no matter how small it is. Um, it may be something minute, like, you know, not approaching me the same way they always approach me or not attending something that they normally attend. Um, that throws up the red flags. And then usually I start putting the picture together. Um, mm -hmm. Coming from an intelligence background, I have, you know, that second nature is to start putting the pieces where they belong and you see the bigger picture pretty quick. But for people that are worried about that type of stuff, I would say do more listening and do less acting. So sit back, let them come to you, watch what goes on in your environment. When that environment change changes, naturally you're going to feel different. Listen to that feeling. Wow. Excellent. Um, that's excellent information. Thanks, Mike. That, I mean, that's something to uh, 
like put in your pocket and just save for in general, like for, for really life. Right. I mean, that's not just cybersecurity. That's not just professionalism. That's like a life lesson kind of thing. Um, like, you know, Pete, Pete loves your analysis. Um, so that, that is, that is awesome. Um, so I, I, I want to spend a minute talking about, um, you know, your hobbies, right? Like, so I, you're big on 3d printing, right? I've seen all over your social media, your 3d printing. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like a, like when you get into something like 3d printing in your mindset, I mean, is your first thought to hack it or, you know, what, what do you, what do you like, I guess kind of tell me a little bit about a 3d printing. I know this is a cybersecurity focused podcast, but a little bit about 3d printing and then maybe, you know, how you may have, you know, gotten into it or how your mind works when you get a piece of technology. So the first thing I did when I got my 3D printer, I literally haven't had it, but maybe two weeks. Um, so the first thing I look at is how can I control this remotely? So I downloaded an application called Octoprint and I run, I run it on a Raspberry Pi and it controls everything from temperature to the bed temperature to the speed of the printing. Um, and I just look at ways to make that one printer to make it better uh, and perform the way that I want it to perform. Um, and find ways to, you know, change things that aren't supposed to be changed and try to find ways to, to do things better. Um, but what really got me interested in it, my boss at work got one for Christmas. And seeing the things that he did with his, I was like, you know, I've, I've been wanting one since I came out. Back in the day, they were like $10,000 a piece. And now the Ender 3 version 2 that I have is only 250 bucks. So <laughs> at that point, I, c I couldn't deny it. I had to get it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, so I, I do, I do appreciate it. And like, it's, it's, it's something that I like to convey to people who are like, Oh, like, I don't know. Like, do you want to work in cybersecurity? Yes. Okay. Well, what do you want to do? That's like the next question always. And they say, I don't know. And there isn't like, um, I, I forget what my military people are going to know what you probably know. It, Mike, there's some test you take that'll tell you like where you're supposed to yeah, ASFAB. Well, there isn't one as far as I know for cybersecurity. So it's kind of like, well, if you like this, you like this, you might like that. I, I really like to tell people like what Mike's talking about right now with that mindset. Like when you get a piece, of, a new piece of technology and your immediate thought is how can I, how can I engineer this differently? Or how can I do something to make it do something it wasn't designed for? Or how can I make it automated in some capacity? Like that, that like taking it apart and, and, and making it do something that is a hacker that's a hacker, like, you know, point blank, that's a hacker. Um, and you can call it different names, but when you're trying to think of how to do something that it's not been designed for, that is the quintessential essence of a hacker, in my opinion. Yeah, true. We're all born hackers too. I mean, from the time you're a child learning new things, learning how to walk, learning how to manipulate objects, that's a hacker. And mm -hmm. just some of us continue down that path and others go the conformed route and they just follow what everybody else does. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny you say that we're born that way because I swear to God, the best social engineers are children because they haven't been conditioned to know what socially is socially acceptable and what you'll get, you know, basically someone will push back on you when you're in a, when you're an adult, but think about social engineering children. I have two children, you know, they'll be like, Oh, can I, can I get ice cream? No. Well, how about, no, can I get two scoops of ice cream? No. Well, how about one? Well, you know, no. Like, what if I go get it and scoop one? Does that work? Or what if, what if we both have ice cream? Can we both have ice cream? So, like, trying to, like, win me over now? And, you know, my kids are, you know, excellent at it. Either that or I'm a soft target, Mike. But <laughs> if you think about the way children get things the way they want it, they are expert social engineers. 100%.
Yeah. So, so we talked a little bit about uh, where cybercrime is going to kind of flip, flip the script a little bit, especially since you uh, are, you know, a high ranking member in an MDR uh, environment. What, what are organizations getting wrong about information security? Why, why do they suck? You know, th- this is a part that makes life difficult and, and makes it difficult to continue down a certain path, right? Because every incident that I've responded to and every major, I guess, breach that I've, I've participated in, it's never a zero day. It's never something really cool or complex. It's always something really dumb, like, oh, I didn't know that server was out there, or, oh, I forgot to patch my exchange server. Um, Proxy Shell in the last, I don't know, 60 days has been like a cancer that spread all over the world. And every breach I've seen has something to do with Proxy Shell. Uh, and then they start talking about Log4j. Uh, and, it, and it's not the complex attacks, it's, it's patching. And it's the things we've preached about since the beginning of cybersecurity. Like that has not changed. Yeah, it, it's it's sad but true, and you know, I almost feel like it's uh, uh, like I, I I can't think of the word right now, but basically like rendered commonplace because of frequent usage. Uh, hackneyed. That's the word I was looking for. It, it's it's almost hackneyed to say like, why would a um, threat actor, an APT, anyone, why would they burn a zero day if they literally? can just point metasploit at you and hit like go like it, they're not go- doing it for style points right they're they're acting on objective right and they're gaining the access they want and they need but half the time they're just walking through an open door yeah it really it really is sad I, i'm gonna tease it at the end of the show but next week's episode is literally called you can't patch all the things and it's <laughs> it's about what to do uh because because in reality like it's it's so easy. That's another like miss miss uh, myth or misunderstanding about our industry. And and by the way, this is a best practice for anyone that is a pen tester or an aspiring pen tester. Like if you just say patch your stuff, like it's not going to end well for you because in reality you cannot patch all things. Right? There's there's critical apps that don't work on Windows Seven. They only work on Windows XP or Windows Eleven. Right? Like if you want, because Windows Seven is obviously, but there's those things. There's custom embedded XP on a manufacturing system that costs $4 million that guess what? There's no way they're going to replace it because you told them that it's got a vulnerability, right? They don't care. Like <laughs> the business doesn't care. So, uh, and you know, another one I, I think of too, Mike, that's a really great example. Brandon Poole, uh, a friend of the show came on and he mentioned this one to me either on or off air, but if you remember Equifax, right? Mm-hmm. Equifax had this massive breach and it was Java struts and it was, it was externally facing and they knew it was vulnerable. And the, you know, the, the CEO of Equifax got fired because of uh, negligence and all this other stuff. And the mm-hmm. thing is you couldn't patch it. It, it. Like if you patched it to the next level, it would have had this cascading effect of breaking everything underneath it that had been custom made, uh, which is a problem unto itself. That's technical mm-hmm. debt, but you can't patch all the things. So, um, so I'm not surprised that that attack surface is so, so, uh, you know, juicy, um, right. you know, so, you, you know, another question that I want to ask, cause this came on stream, uh, a while ago and, uh, Neil Bridges actually had a really strong point about this. Have you ever in your, in your red offensive days or in your defensive days, have you ever used a buffer overflow to, 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 to like in a, in actual practice? Like, have you done that? Absolutely, hundred percent. 
Yeah. Okay. Back, MS MS ten seventeen, I believe, or something like that. Uh, the LSAS buffer overflow. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Because there was a, a, a observation made that, like, you know, buffer overflow is kind of the first offsec, you know, advanced thing you learn. But how often do you really use it in practice? But I'm gonna I'm gonna mark tape right here and say that it has uh, application. It does absolutely. Pete's got a question for you, Mike, and then we're going to roll into uh, five questions. Is there a way to talk to people about fundamentals that you guys have developed over your careers? Yeah. So, so I'm assuming he's talking about uh, talking to the business, perhaps. Yeah. 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 So the way that I approach that that conversation, um, in the past when I was young, I would go in and, and guns blaring and oh, you know, you do this wrong, this vulnerability, this server's vulnerable. You know, what are you doing? You need to do this, and it didn't work. Um, you don't build rapport that way. Uh, so I go in and give them the data, but nine times out of 10, it's not the person you're talking to's fault that they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, so my job is to show them how they're vulnerable and help them find a way to not be vulnerable. Um, and it doesn't like the phishing, phishing campaigns. I, I hate those because it's, you know, it gets people kind of numb to, email in general, they don't know what to click on, what not to click on. Um, and they always get indicated as, oh, they, they fell for it. Well, you know, instead of making it like such a negative connotation, why don't we do it like a positive and offer like a prize in the industry or a prize in the, in the company for a person who doesn't fall for, you know, the phishing attack two or three times in a row? Why does it always have to be negative? Yeah, for me, the number one way the number one way that I have found to talk to people about fundamentals is to personalize it. So mm-hmm. instead of saying you need multi-factor authentication and we're going to put multi-factor authentication in, I know it's going to be disruptive. If you've ever deployed multi-factor at an organization, it's incredibly disruptive. People don't like it. It's a pain in the ass. I, I, I tell them, I don't tell them that we're putting multi-factor in. I basically will make video or go speak to them and I'll say, Hey, listen, you need like this thing called multi-factor is going to keep your from having your checking account emptied mm. period like uh, uh, you know unless you're open to being robbed like there's a control here i don't say control but there's a control here that you can use that's free and the bank provides it and it can keep you from getting cleared out cuz i know carl that you use the same password on all your systems we all know it so just put multi factor on and you won't get you won't get robbed, man. And then once Carl puts it on his phone and he thanks me for helping him not get robbed, I say, oh, and by the way, we're going to put the same one on um, your email because, you know, we can't have people busting in your email, Carl. So uh, I, I try to use personalization and, and showing them the value um, uh, t- to them personally. So then you basically uh, reinforce that behavior. That's yeah, a teaching opportunity, too. I look at everything like that as a teaching opportunity. Love it. Let me, I'm going to set up the uh, raffle. Are you okay with a giveaway now, uh, Mike? Absolutely. Awesome. All right. And thanks for all the great questions, guys. We're going to do the five question segment um, right now, and then we'll do a couple more questions and then we'll thank Mike for, for all his time. So if you want to enter the raffle right now, hashtag squad, drop that in chat and you will enter. We are playing for uh, a practical ethical hacking from TCS TCM Academy course complements of 
Russell Brinson, Simply Cyber Community member, and freshly minted PNPT, uh, which is the new hot cert on the block. And he got that earlier today like a boss. So, yeah, absolutely. Let me play it. Like, hold on. Is that? No, wait. That's the wrong one. This is is what he gets. All right. Like a boss. Okay. So while those things queue up, we're going to play our five-question segment. Um, I I don't have uh, special buzzers, Mike. I I just, (laughs) I've got a lot going on. Normally, I make custom buzzers for my guests. But we'll we'll use some uh, popular ones that have been used on the channel. So obviously, the first one. Okay, first question for you, Mike, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, red is seen as the sexy side. I asked this to all kind of my off-sec people. Red is seen as the sexy side of information security. Do you think it's sexy? It's not as sexy as you would like it to be, no. Yeah, okay. What, why, why is that? What, what's, what's the ugly truth? The ugly truth is there's a lot of reporting, and the results are almost identical every time. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that is bad. I've just been told by my mod, uh, by the way, thank you very much, um, Base, uh, for modding, that the buzzers are not coming through. Mike, do you hear the buzzers when I play I them? I don't. Oh, man. I think earlier you said, oh, yeah. I did. Yeah, cool. Like, yeah. what, what are you doing, man? Are you, like, hacking I don't me? hear it now. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. This, uh, like, I'm going to spend one second trying to fix this. Okay. It, it, whatever. So we have buzzer options that are not happening right now, and it's 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 sad. It's sad because the buzzer options are the best part of five questions. Okay, so I'll just um, like Ca-caw! like I'll just make a sound effect. I guess I don't know. So all right. So next question uh, again. Yeah, reporting reporting's the rough truth of of red. Uh, Mike, do you have any uh, like comical hacking engagements that you can share? Like you know, like something that's just you know, a party, a cocktail party story where you're just like, Oh, you wouldn't believe hundred percent. So I was doing a, a pen test on a casino in the Midwest and I went into the administrator's office and was just getting set up. And I had left my land turtle sitting on the counter along with my bad USB. And when I came back, he had plugged in the land turtle into his laptop and all his credentials were grabbed. Everything was sucked <laughs> out. And he, when I came back in the room, he goes, why did you leave this piece of here? It doesn't work. And I was like, oh, oh, really? <laughs> so I had all the credentials and domain admin before I even booted up my laptop. Wow. Yeah. So you didn't even have to put like Bitcoin wallet or nudes like on, <laughs> the, on the USB drive? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Yeah, that is pretty good. Okay. Like, like, it, like, I really wish I had sound effects, people. I'm desperately sorry, but I feel compelled to make sound effects up just, just for the segment. Okay, third question, Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, are, 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 should, should businesses, organizations hack back? What is, yes. Um, I, I think that it's about time that we take offensive actions towards groups like that. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't work to lay over and play dead. You know, we definitely have to do something about that, or they won't stop. So, what? So, it, okay. So, if you if you move forward with the philosophy of hackback is acceptable, mm-hmm. uh, are you would organizations employ offensive like soldiers, essentially like mercenaries, or like allow their infosec team to just go for it? Well, you know, we have paramilitary in the military that, that help out in times of crisis or whatever, 
mm-hmm. can't we have the same in, in our industry? Why can't we have kind of a paramilitary group that goes in and disables infrastructure? Yeah. Well, we saw it recently, kind of, where the FBI patched everybody's servers, like, proactively, like, thanks, I guess. I'd be in jail uh, for that. that. Is what, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That is one way to, to do it. Okay, so, like, like a boss, okay? Like, I, I got to do these sound effects, Mike. Um, n- next question, fourth question. Um, are, are you an advocate of bug bounty programs or bug bounty platforms? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it gives the people coming into the industry that – especially the young kids, like as young as 14 are, are winning some of these bug bounties and, and getting CBEs attached to their names. Um, I think it's good for the industry and I think it helps people getting into the industry, it helps them get a leg up and, and have some kind of experience behind them. Yeah, I, I, I like it too. Um, you know, there is some discussion in some circles about, you know, <laughs> We like if I submit a bug that I found, which would essentially be a zero day to a platform, then they are responsible for going with it. But they hold that zero day for some period of time before they disclose it to the to the vendor. And, you know, there there are some, you know, you know, like Hacker One's obviously a huge one in bug crowd. They're not going to shoot themselves in the foot. But, you know, you could make the argument that there there is some gray area that you got to be careful with in that space. Mm -hmm for sure okay uh final question like uh uh uh, i'm a crypto evangelist i love it love it love it that's another one of my buzzer options mike and that's the final one and i'm literally clowning myself for for my community here i love it (laughs) so um okay mike what what is here's another one i like to ask people um what is like your go-to infosec tool like what what's a well-worn tool in your toolbox Mm, right now, I would have to say that Intelligence X is probably one of my go-to tools when it comes to red teaming and, and incident response as well. Um, because with Intelligence X, I could put in a domain or an email address or a company name, and it'll show me all the dumps that their information's in. I can go and look and see what was dumped, username, passwords, IP addresses, whatever. Is this it? Uh, yeah, that's it. Cool. Yeah, I will bookmark that <laughs> and go back to that later. Thanks for that tip, Mike. You're welcome. Okay. All right. And so concludes our five questions with Mike. <laughs> right? Like that will never happen again. I will do a sound check. I love it. Um, I will do a sound check. I can't believe you said in the dude, green room. Dude, it was it working in the green room. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. okay. I thought you were just punking me. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's draw our winners. Um, you know, I can't do the drum roll, people. I guess I'll have to do that as well. Uh, we got 25 people enrolled. This is for the Practical Ethical Hacking course uh, from TCM Academy. So good luck to everybody. Mike Jones. Congratulations, Chip oh. Harris. Very nice. Very nice. Chip, go ahead and um, connect with uh, me on Discord or on LinkedIn, uh, and I'll connect you to get you know what you need um, to win that prize. So thank you. Thank you for playing along. And all, this entire group, uh, thank you for the grace of allowing me to make my sound effects on the fly. Yeah, and I see for ADA compliance, uh, Pete was doing the sound of the drum roll. <laughs> thank you, Pete. I love it. Um, so one of the questions uh, that 
we came up earlier and I thought it was interesting um, going back to uh, kind of geopolitical and the national when we were talking about that, Mike, uh, Dylan and said, you know, any thoughts on geopolitical tensions that spill over into the private sector? And I think that this is a really important topic, especially as we move forward uh, as, you know, as a society, frankly. Do you have any thoughts around this? I do. And I'm actually going to do a, an entire episode over geopolitical um, effects on cybersecurity with a former CIA. So the what we're seeing right now is geopolitical tension that is forcing attackers to target transportation, logistics and food supply. Um, I've seen attacks on all three in the last 60 days uh, and any time that that a country looks as if they're struggling internally, those are the first th three things to be affected. Because if they can cut logistics and transportation, they can't get the food or the supply from farm to market, uh, which puts thing in a, things in a crisis mode. And with just those three sectors, you can shut down an entire country. And we all know that supply chain is suffering right now as it is. So we're at a very critical breaking point. Um, so I would look for more probes and more attacks to those specific critical infrastructures. That is interesting. Uh, just as a shameless plug, because it ties in unbelievably, uh, the cybersecurity threat briefing that I do every single morning um, tomorrow at 8 a.m. Be sure to check it out. We just talked about it today or uh, yeah, today that the European Union is launching a multi-country cyber attack simulation on supply chain that will run six weeks starting tomorrow, which I, no one, like, I don't know about you, Mike, but I hadn't heard about that. That's like a massive operation to just like tomorrow we're doing this. Yeah. I mean, it's been <laughs> so, a worse, it's been, it's been a worse for a while, but I don't think it was led to the public until just recently. Yeah. So it, it, it is interesting. What were those three sectors again? You said transportation, transportation, logistics, and food supply. Logistics and food supply. That's so interesting, Mike, because, um, when I when I talk about this, like I literally talk about this at, in at the university I teach at, there's there's a lecture I give, and I talk about attacking critical infrastructure, why the U.S. is like focused on protecting it, and I often talk about the economic sector and the energy sector being the two that go that would go down first if a cyber attack was to be um, perpetrated. And because people are going to lose their mind when uh, the financials are going buck wild the way that, you know, they did in, in the Great Depression. And with oil and gas or energy, we just saw with Colonial Pipeline, like it was like a sniff of a problem and people are like losing their mind, gas line fill ups, you know, putting gas in plastic bags. So I always gravitated to those two industries. I find it I find your logic sound. So I'm not saying like I disagree with you. I find your logic sound, but I hadn't considered that particular um, consequence of attacking transportation. So, so there's a, a differentiator in those, those industries, right? The ones you listed, the ones I talked about, is if you go after the, the, the grids in the U.S., there's five. If you go after, after the power grids and you go after, let's say, the Federal Reserve, those are going to be acts of war. As, yeah. as opposed to if you go after a major trucking company that is, is responsible for food supply, that you can kind of bury that for a while, but an outright blatant attack on those two that you that you mentioned would attract government attention immediately. Just I guess like to your point, the way it did in 
Colonial Pipeline because that's the only time I've seen the federal government step in immediately and somehow get the money back, which doesn't happen. Um, yeah, Kimberly's talking about food shortages down there in uh, South Florida right now. So you know, mm-hmm. hopefully it's just a coincidence and not uh, you know red flags or indicators of compromise. Um, one, one other question that I want to get to uh, because – uh, and I'll pull it up here in a second. But Wayne Shaw has been asking this question in chat for like four days. And I always see it, Wayne. Uh, and it just hasn't come up. So this is this is your time to shine, brother. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Quantum computing right down the corner or right, to, right around the corner. Uh, what do you think about it? Do you think it's real that we need to be concerned about it? And what, what would you you know recommend for preparation? I, I would say that, that we need to be concerned about it, A, but also be excited about it, B. Um, reason for, for being concerned is if it gets to the wrong hands too quickly. Um, you know, just like nuclear arsenal or supersonic weapons, um, we got kind of shocked when North Korea started playing with those. So quantum computing, great when you look at how far and how far and how fast we can move in advancing technology once we get to that point. I mean, AI would be something that would be short vision. Um, but if it gets in the wrong hands, then, you know, it could be it could switch the weight and, and the precedence of the countries in the world. Yeah, definitely. Like, I feel like everybody kind of focuses just on crypto and, and, and breaking crypto mm-hmm. uh, or breaking cryptography. I know some people in the know, like, don't like the word crypto, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, be, yeah. be able to crack AES and stuff like that. But, you know, you bring up AI machine learning uh, and all the, the powers of that. So I think it's like any other technology, right? Like the internet, you know, you, you could have argued back in the 60s that, you know, like once people realized how powerful it could be that, you know, uh, if a country had this, it would be crazy. Uh, and now look at it. It's like, you know, I get dog food sent to my house over the internet. Yeah. Look, at the, <laughs> so. look, at the, look at the mass surveillance that came with it too. Well, yeah, there is that. Maybe you can come back on um, and we could have a more of a privacy focused episode because there is there's a lot going on with privacy um, really <laughs> across the world. Right. I mean, we could have a conversation just about a specific country or two, but maybe we'll, we'll bring you back on. I'll, I'll, I'll pull the community. I'm sure that they would love to have you on. Uh, of course, the community is probably going to want me to do these sound effects my, myself every week going forward, but, but we'll see that. So thanks for the question, Wayne and, and Mike uh, really appreciate you having, having you on. Let me, let me give you an opportunity uh, to take the floor, share your final thoughts with the community uh genuinely appreciate your time with us mike please take the floor sure man i I really appreciate being here gerald Um, we always have great conversations and as far as the community goes you know be nice to each other we're all in it together um you know and and there is no difference between red and blue just a different way of thinking um but you know try to embrace every situation you run into with an open mind and you know you learn more that way and just stay safe Awesome. Thanks, Mike, so much. It, it, like, it can't be understated, or excuse me, it can't be overstated enough that at the end of the day, we all are humans. We all are emotional. We are all vulnerable. Uh, and, you know, it takes a village, right? Which is why having a community is so valuable and so um, comforting and, and a support system, whether it's, you know, people in Discord or your family or your friend circle, whatever. Uh, it, it is critically important for mental health and just for, um, you know, m- moving forward. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. Let me send you to the green room and then I'm going to, I'm going to tease all the uh, upcoming events here. So thanks so much for joining us, Mike.
All right. So I kind of cut him off there. I'm sorry, Mike, um, about that. But let me let me just tease you guys a couple things we've been talking about. First things first, if you guys don't know, uh, this is that morning daily briefing that I do. People seem to really enjoy it. I certainly enjoy it. Uh, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., a live stream on Simply Cyber. So if you're watching this, you've, you found it. Uh, we're going to go through the top news stories of the day. And after each one, I give my uh, professional opinion, reflection, how you might be able to wep weaponize it, geez, how you might be able to operationalize it at your organization. Definitely don't say you're weaponizing stuff when you're talking to the CIO. Um, it, it's a good time. Uh, I drink coffee, bring tea, whatever you want. Uh, it gets you set up for the day. I also want to tease next week's event. We talked about patching and why you can't patch all the things. Uh, uh, Dave Klein, who I've been working with on and off for a couple months, uh, we've been talking about patching, why you can't patch things, what CVSS score is. And really, as you can see by the little uh, message up in the top left there, at the end of the day, you need to prioritize your vulnerabilities. Do you even need to patch this? Is it critical? Like, come in on the weekend. Mike talked about proxy shell, right? Like, what is the deal? Because you can't do it all. Okay. We're going to talk to him about how to do that and give you kind of some skills to, to take away with you in being able to do that. All right, y'all. So that is going to do it. I'd play my outro music, but I, I can't sing. I, I can't play it from the stream deck and I can't sing and say goodbye. And thank you to all of you uh, at the same time. I'm sure there's pretty plenty of uh, captured uh, animated gifs of me uh, dancing like fools. So I love it. I appreciate you guys. Everybody be good. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a great audience as you always are. And we will see you tomorrow at 8 a.m. Cheers, everybody.